We've uh, got two readings this morning. The first one is from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its feel of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. And the second reading from Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 15. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destructions of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Thank you. That was a remarkable reading. <laughs> so impressed. Um, well, thanks for inviting me along uh, to speak today. I really do love the theme that you guys are looking at around uh, love your neighbour. Um, and today we're looking at love your neighbour at work. 
I'm taking a little bit of a different tact here, uh, rather than just thinking about how we can be, become Christians as we go into work, I'm sort of wanting to pick up on a couple of themes uh, of work and that a lot of us wrestle with, that a lot of our neighbours probably wrestle with around the value uh, of work and how the Christian message can resonate uh, with some of those things, but also then give us an entry point as we consider those things as ourselves, how can we share some of that uh, with other people as well? So that's why we're taking this, looking at it through the lens of the value uh, of work. So as we kick in, um, I want you guys to cast your mind back a couple of years. Uh, Some of you might have heard about this phenomenon called uh, the Great Resignation. Uh, It was in the news. It sort of pierced through all the noise that was going on. And it was a movement that was happening across the world where people en masse, seem to be voluntarily resigning uh, from their jobs. I wonder if you heard about it. Around 2021 or so, at the height of this global pandemic, at a time when you would have thought that people would be holding on to job security, instead, what we saw was all these people quitting their jobs. In China, they had a similar phenomenon called uh, lying flat. Don't ask me this in Chinese. I was born here. So, and that was followed uh, after the pandemic by another trend, uh, very, very popular on Instagram and TikTok called quiet quitting, yeah, Uh, working your wage, that sort of thing, where people weren't resigning, but they're very intentionally deciding to opt out of their work tasks beyond their assigned duties, assigned hours of work. It's settled down a little bit now, I think, with our cost of living pressures increasing for people, but I wonder what's behind these phenomena? What's driving some of those actions? Well, I think as much as the news talks to us about how the pandemic has disrupted how we work, with hybrid work being much more common now, our workplaces being closer uh, to our local neighbourhood now, I wonder if the more lasting impact from the pandemic isn't how we work, but around people reflecting on why we work. Behind the great resignation, behind quiet quitting, there's people who are reconsidering their priorities in life, what they value in life, and how work fits alongside those values. Maybe you're one of those people. And that brings us to that topic that we're looking at today, the value of our work. When my parents uh, migrated to Australia, uh, their goal for work was to make money, uh, to put food on the table, and for many people, that's still the case. It's still the case for myself. Uh, But for my friends growing up here, it was about more than just work. Not just money, but also about meaning. And hopefully, you know, making, having a little bit of fun along the way. And, yeah, I, I, I sit in that weird generational gap, so I find a little bit of it a bit rose-tinted, a little bit naive, but there's also that uh, ring of truth to it as well. So I think especially in recent history, we've got the opportunity to choose what we do for our work. Ever since primary school, I'm being told that work is this source of fulfilment. No wonder then people are quiet quitting or resigning when they don't find it. We want to find value 
in our work. As human beings, we want to enjoy what we do and to know that somehow it matters. So, as a Christian then, what are we to make of this? What makes work valuable? What makes it worth doing or not doing? Is the value of work any different for us as Christians? Should we be even trying to seek value in our work in the first place? Or is that just some, is that a worldly temptation for us? So today I'm going to be looking at two different ways that I think we long to find value in our work. And I'm going to look to see how the Bible resonates with that longing, but I think also gives us a bigger and more fulfilling and more missional uh, and ultimately more hopeful, I think, answer for both ourselves and also then for our neighbours. So first, I'm going to look at work that feels good. Work that feels good. Work that we enjoy. And secondly, I'm going to be looking at work that matters. Work that matters, that has meaning or purpose for us. Work that feels good, work that matters. Two ways that we try to find value in our work. And obviously, they're related to each other. You know, we we often say, my work is boring because it doesn't matter. But I think I want to treat them as two different concepts. Because I think you can enjoy work that's ultimately inconsequential. A fun team, good work culture where my voice feels heard, challenging problems, all while building something that's trivial, doing work that, or even ethically questionable. Or I could be doing work that is incredibly meaningful, world-changing, but be utterly frustrated, exhausted, or just plain bored. So just ask anyone whose main work is as a stay-at-home parent. Their unpaid work is literally to nurture the future of humanity. And how do we often describe this most noble of jobs? Uh, Well, as the long-suffering mother of my own children said, uh, I can feel my brain cells dying. And she said that while she was hidden in the bathroom trying to eat a chocolate bar in peace as well. (laughs) So you can see how you can have one without the other. And I think the Bible does speak uniquely and more fully uh, to both these truths about work. Why, Why we want work that feels good, why we want work that matters. It says these are good things, but it's honest as well and tells us how work will frustrate us if it can, it can never fulfill uh, the hopes if we make it the main thing. So firstly, work that feels good. Uh, in 1975, modern psychology uh, coined this term called flow. You've probably heard about it. When, you, when you're fully immersed in a feeling of energised focus. Uh, You're fully involved and enjoying uh, the process of some work. You've probably experienced this as well when playing sport, when you're making art, when you're immersed in some sort of problem solving, you're in the zone and you lose all sense of time at the edge of high challenge and high skill. See, I think this, this term flow is just describing then what the Bible has told us from the beginning that we were designed to work. And perhaps surprisingly, the Bible describes work as part of creation. So like a well-oiled machine then, we flow best when we're working as we're designed. 
So from the very beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that work is a part of God's natural order, not something foreign to it, not just some new concept. It's part of who we are as designed. So in Genesis 1, uh, verse 28, we hear that God blesses the man and the woman and he tells them to fill the earth, to rule over it, to fill the earth and rule over it. After six days of God's creation, humanity is invited in to continue with what he first made, to fill it and rule over it. That's our work. And in Genesis 2, we see that this work of filling and ruling is not domination, but of stewardship. In Genesis 2.15, we read this beautiful picture where the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to, to what? To work it, to work the garden and take care of it. I love that you guys have this, what is it, the, sustainab- the, the Sustainability Sunday? Is that what it is? Climate Justice <laughs> Sunday? Yeah, um, to work it and take care of it, the garden. So work is part of our design then, continuing what God first started as an act of stewardship under his rule, following his way, we're described as gardeners of God's creation, to tend to it, to water it, to nurture it, to enjoy its fruits. And I think work feels good. It still feels best when uh, we delight when it's about that flourishing, working for the good of others and working for the good of creation as we're designed. Yep, we turn the page to Genesis 3 and we know work, (laughs) I definitely know that work is not always like that. Uh, Genesis 3 says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. So it's holding these things in tension. So unlike the world then, as Christians, we shouldn't expect work to always feel good, should we? Chasing after that, becomes idolatry, putting the creation over the creator. But since our fall, work is painful, sweaty toil. But even though work is cursed, it doesn't mean work itself is a curse, if you catch me. It remains part of God's good design in creation, and so it retains its value, and it remains intrinsically good. So as Christians then, what does that mean? I think it means that we can then go out and affirm our neighbor's desire for enjoyable work. We can go out and celebrate with them, discuss some of our own work and our own plans in light of God's good design, pointing up when work just flows. How great is it? How good is it? We can praise God for work that is good. But we also know to not let those dreams be our master. And by understanding that created order, we're free then to come alongside our neighbours when the reality of work doesn't match those false dreams that we've all been sold since primary school. We can affirm the goodness of work and celebrate and enjoy that point up, but at the same time recognise that that can be a crushing burden for many people, and we can point to the one who frees us from that. 
So that's the first way, I think, that we can find value in our work. Work that's part of God's design feels good when it's in line with that design. But, and I think it's a big but, even if work feels good, even if it's in line with God's order, does it really matter if Jesus brings it all home in the end? And what do I mean by that? If, we, if, we, if, if Jesus brings it all home in the, in the end. And I think here we turn to point two. Uh, can there be value in our work, even if it's in line with God's good design, if in the end it all crumbles? If nothing lasts, if even the greatest works will become broken fragments, forgotten to time, can it really matter? Our very happy reading from Ecclesiastes today <laughs> exposes some of that problem. Uh, we follow this guy who's searching for something, anything that truly matters. He looks for it in wisdom and learning. He looks for it in pleasure. And like so many of us, he looks for it in his work, in achievement, in great projects, or as we like to call it today, in legacy. And in conclusion, right up front, he says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. It's the type of guy that you don't really want to invite to your parties. Yep. The teacher of Ecclesiastes sees that in the shadow of eternity, trying to find true meaning in your work, you might as well be chasing after the wind. So, to be fair, he does chime in on our first point here. He admits that work can feel good. Yes, there's satisfaction and enjoyment in toilsome labor. You can be happy in your work, Ecclesiastes 5, verse 18. But it's meaning with a lowercase m. Meaning with an uppercase m is fleeting in light of eternity, he says. So, what then? How can our work matter in light of eternity? How can we make sense of that for ourselves, but then also for our neighbours who are trying to wrestle with those same questions? In Christian thought, there's kind of two camps, which I'm going to go through really quickly. Uh, continuity or discontinuity. Uh, things keep going or it all stops. So 2 Peter 3.10 from our reading today uh, is kind of one of the key verses here, yeah? The day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So one answer says that this is the discontinuity camp, just says quite bluntly, look, there's a destroying fire. So yes, your work is worth absolutely nothing in light of eternity, that get along with the teacher from Ecclesiastes. <laughs> Our souls, only souls, last into eternity. So, unless your work is focused on saving souls, your work is as useful as rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. The other school, the continuity camp, says, no, 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 look closer here. Everything done is laid bare. It's not a destroying fire, it's a refining fire. Uh, the good work we do in life echoes in eternity. And that 
somehow includes our good work. Because God is renewing all things, then our work in some way contributes to building of God's new heaven and new earth. So they're the two main answers in Christian thought, right? For some people, it's a really hot topic, especially if you've gone to Bible college, because we talk about these things. <laughs> but you can, see how, you can see how, right? So at the face value, whether or not our work continues or not into eternity seems to sh- be the thing that shapes whether our work can matter, shapes the value of work for us. Continuity or discontinuity, you know? Can we actually create a legacy for ourselves? Does good work continue or does it all burn? Surely that changes how we work. I'm not so sure. After 20 years working across a mix of ministry and secular work, I think on the one hand, it doesn't really make that much difference in practice. So from what I've seen, workers who prioritise gospel work, evangelism, for example, also kind of have to do good work. Deeds and character do matter. Believing in Christ means being transformed by Christ, and that also impacts our working life as well. Otherwise, those, and you know these people, sharing the gospel means people see you as manipulative at best, or a hypocritical jerk at worst. On the other hand, workers who pursue good work, uh, good in their work, still recognize that in the end, It's only Jesus who truly satisfies. They recognize that without Jesus, career is just idolatry. Work that feels good pales in comparison to a life that is full. And ultimately, Jesus is the one who saves. So work is good, but they still recognize that it's Christ that is what you need. See, I think continuity or discontinuity, annihilation, purification... Like, faith in action in everyday life, practically speaking, looks awfully similar. And I think it's that, inside that view of things, seeing that lived experience of faith at work, I think it actually points us to a better way, a third way to think about why work matters. And I think that's actually the view that Peter's got in mind here. See, the New Testament doesn't actually pin the value of our work, what we do, on whether or not it will last or won't last into eternity. That seems to be a bit more of a worldly logic that we've superimposed onto it. It's following after what the modern, it's almost the modern cause and effect mindset that says what matters today is driven purely by what will make the most impact tomorrow. It's fairly utilitarian. Uh, in nature. But if we look at 2 Peter, if we, if, we, if we listen to the spiritual logic that he unpacks, I think he's got a different view in mind. If we turn back to chapter 1, when he first, uh, intru- when, he, when he greets uh, the, le- uh, the people in his letter, before he talks about this new heaven and new earth, he greets his readers like this. He says, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith, as precious as ours. He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. 
So what I want to notice here is that the language subverts our expectations. It's not a future tense language that he's talking about, but it's the past and present tense. Through Jesus, we've received past tense faith. We are to participate, present tense, in Jesus' divine nature. Because we've already escaped, past tense, the corruption of the world, and we're free to live it out. Some of you are probably familiar with this now-but-not-yet idea about how God saves us, but I think it has implications also for how our work matters. See, where the two views of Christian thought sees eternity as something in the future, I think there's also a sense here, quite radically, in which that new creation is already here, in and through those who've received faith in Christ, through us as believers. So elsewhere in the New Testament, Christians are described as citizens of a future heavenly kingdom, in a sense where kind of time travels, ambassadors from that future kingdom, living and breathing today. In light of eternity, Peter is calling us to act like those citizens from that future world, growing in grace and knowledge of Christ by being who we already are in Christ, in every sphere of life. And that includes, then, our life at work. And I think that's what gives work its meaning. That's work that matters with a capital M. Work doesn't matter just because it will last into a future kingdom. It matters because we're representatives from that future kingdom. As citizens, then, of that future kingdom, we can emphasize both our gospel work and our everyday work. We don't trade off one against the other to maximize future returns. They're both an outworking of who we are in the Lord. So we can emphasize gospel work, evangelism, not just because our soul, only souls last forever, but because it's inescapable. Like foreigners in a strange land, where God has placed you throughout the week, your workplace, your neighborhood, that's where kingdoms collide. It's an encounter then between the kingdom of God and our present secular post-churched world in all kinds of contexts, in schools, in clinics, in hospitals and offices, in studios, in council chambers, in co-working spaces, in homes, in cafes, supermarkets, gyms, and at the school gates. I think every day non-believers are rubbing shoulders with eternity through the lives and the work of flesh and blood Christians. We could be moved to do good everyday work, not just because our work might last through the fire, but because we're working as if in God's kingdom. We work as if we're working for the Lord, making good work in the work itself, ministering grace and love to the people we meet, molding culture itself through art and justice and innovation. Our work matters not because it might last, but because it's a present outworking from the, from the hands of emissaries from that future kingdom. Through our good work, we are salt, giving a foretaste of that kingdom. We're light, reflecting the glory of its king. So I don't really know whether it will last or not, 
but I know that in a sense, the kingdom of God's already here through us in our everyday work. And that's why it matters, as an act of worship. Not about what we do, but who we do it for. Our work matters when we're doing it for Jesus. When every day we're working as if for the Lord and not for ourselves. Because in the end, it's all about Jesus. That's when there's value in our work. Feels good when it's aligned with his good design. And it's mattered and it matters when it's done for him. It's both an act of flourishing and an act of worship. And work like that, I think, is valuable for our good and for God's glory. And I hope you see that it's valuable for the good of others as well, so that they also might see and glorify the Lord when he returns. How about I pray? Thank you, God that work is part of your good design, for our good, for your glory. Even though through our sin it's hard, difficult toil, we pray in both of those things we can come alongside our neighbours to celebrate work that is good, but also wrestle with it when they're, with the crippling pressure when we, work, when, when we make work the main thing. Thank you that our work can be worship to you. Uh, that is a place where... We are rubbing shoulders. Eternity is rubbing shoulders with our every day. We pray, Lord, that you will help us in these endeavors. In Jesus' name, amen.